All right, well, thank you. If you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 22. Please hear the word of God. And the soldiers led Jesus away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we read this passage, I ask for your help. I ask that you would um, dwell in every heart, that you would be our teacher, and that you would not only teach us what your word says, but also enable us by your spirit to obey it and give you the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now there have been uh, many famous mistranslations through history. One of the more famous is John F. Kennedy's. Um, and this actually is an urban legend from what I understand that this did not happen. But uh, it is so famous that uh, thought I would mention it anyway when he's speaking in Berlin. And he is identifying with the Berliners, and he says, I am a Berliner. And the legend is that he mispronounced it and said, I am a jelly donut. Um, and like I said, that's an urban legend. More contemporarily, Hillary Clinton and the easy button mishap, many of you are familiar with that, where she, upon becoming the Secretary of State, gave the Russian ambassador a copy of the Staples office products, the easy button, the little red button you're supposed to keep on your desk. Well, that was easy when you, you know, make an order or whatever. Well, they, they had a copy of this and intended uh, to say instead of easy, they intended to say reset. They used the word pregutska, uh, and instead of saying reset, it meant overcharged. And so that was quite a gaffe. Uh, you may not have heard about the um, Coors Beer slogan uh, mistranslation. Their slogan, Turn It Loose, you know, they're supposedly the silver bullet. Well, when they uh, wanted to market this phrase in Spanish, um, they had a mishap. It made it past all the editors. And instead of turn it loose in Spanish, what they really said was suffer from diarrhea. (laughs) 
I want to add to that the Westminster uh, sign out by the road. Uh, the Via Dolorosa, which means Way of Sorrows. Uh, whenever I studied this passage back in August, I think I had read this somewhere, and so I don't know if I can actually take all the blame myself, but the Via Della Rosa um, was the way the sign read until I started hearing from several in the congregation and even in the community that we had mistranslated it, that it means Way of the Rose. And so we, we went back to what it's supposed to be via Dolorosa, which means the way of sorrows. And what this means is, or the reason why this is a famous phrase is this is a Latin phrase that talks about the path that Jesus tread as he was making his way to the cross. And that is uh, the subject of our sermon this morning. And so you have an outline on the back of your bulletin. The first point is... Jesus allowed himself to be mocked as a king so that we might become a royal priesthood. Here's what's happening. In verses 16 and following, they led Jesus away inside the palace. They led him into um, the governor's headquarters. They gathered together the whole battalion, or in some translations, the whole garrison. So there were several soldiers that have gathered around uh, Jesus, and they began mocking him. It says that they clothed him in a purple cloak. They went out and found uh, some thorns, maybe a from a palm branch or some other uh, type of uh, branch they twisted them together to put on his head as a crown and they gave him a reed uh, which was to be like his his scepter that he was to reign with and then they began to mock him they began to say to him hail king of the Jews then they took that reed out of his hand began to uh, beat him about the head with it others began to slap him in the face while others began spitting on him and they were kneeling down in mock homage uh, to him these soldiers were having fun at Jesus' expense and they're probably not doing it with the hatred that the crowd was hurling at Jesus Um, I don't think these soldiers since they were not Jewish I don't think they were being hateful I think they were just merely being inhuman I think this is probably the way they treated many who were headed out to be crucified just hurling humanity at him but the Lord Jesus Christ sitting there on that mock throne covered in that that uh, cloak that was intended to mock him wearing that crown of thorns uh, was really and truly the king of the universe the king of the universe was there being mocked and it is important to understand as I was teaching the smaller the children that Jesus is allowing this to happen to him he could have destroyed every one of those soldiers in that room with but a single word 
instead. He submitted himself to this inhumanity. He submitted himself to this mockery. And the reason he did this was that he knew that what was happening to him was part of God's plan for him. So he suffered the mockery. He suffered the mistreatment. He suffered the shame. He suffered the pain willingly, patiently, and without retaliation. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2? Peter said when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He wasn't entrusting himself to Pilate, who judged unjustly. He was entrusting himself to his heavenly Father, right in the middle of that inhumane treatment. Philippians 2, verse 8 says, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He could have taken all of His glory. He could have taken all of His infinite power and used it for His own purposes. But instead, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus, while suffering, while being mocked, was the rightful King of the universe. And He continues to sit on that throne reigning over the entire universe reigning over this entire world reigning over our country reigning over your family reigning over you as an individual I think it is vital that we remember this often overlooked fact you know there's a lot of political posturing taking place in the world right now it's what we call real politics North Korea is posturing by testing their nukes. Iran is posturing by building these nuclear reactors and pursuing a nuclear bomb. Russia is posturing and dealing under, underhandedly. And U.S. and Europe are posturing as well, responding in various ways to these various threats. Sometimes righteously, sometimes unrighteously, sometimes wisely, sometimes unwisely. But because of all this, there's a lot of unrest in our world, a lot of uncertainty. And because there's unrest, because there's uncertainty, there's also a lot of distress in this world. We are living in scary times. But I want to remind you, Jesus Christ is the King of kings. He is ruling and reigning from His throne. And He is not just up in heaven disconnected, ruling and reigning. He is reigning in every one of your lives. History is moving at His pace. History is moving in His direction. Your life, your circumstances are moving at His direction. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, Nebuchadnezzar had it right when he said, God's dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Unemployment is high in our country. According to the various estimates, 10% if you look at it one way. 15 or 16% if you look at it another way. Either way, it is extraordinarily high. The stock market is limping along. The dollar is falling. In fact, the fall of the dollar may be wiping out any gains that the the stock market might be making right now. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of the universe. He is ruling and governing. And if you belong to Him, He is ruling and governing for your good. It's a remarkable thing to think that we have over a hundred individuals in this room. And for every one of you who belong to Jesus Christ, who love Him and are loved by Him, He is working in each individual your perfect good. And He's able to do it even with the variables of all these other people and all the circumstances of everybody else. He's God. He's able to do this. He's able to take every fact in the universe and pour it into a thimble, if you will. Everything, every individual, every circumstance in every individual's life, every thought in every individual's mind, it's like... It could all be gathered in a thimble compared with an entire ocean. Uh, What I'm trying to say is He is infinite. And all, if you took the entire ocean of, of, of water, every fact... Would be um, if you took just a little thimble of water, every fact, every thought, every circumstance could fit in a thimble because of, of his mind. He's able to think of everybody all at the same moment. He, he doesn't have to stop thinking of Jim to think of Joe. He doesn't have to stop thinking of my wife to think of me. And he's orchestrating it all according to His good and perfect purposes and for your perfect good. If you belong to Him, He is governing for your good. He is faithful to all His promises to you. What I'm saying is, because Jesus is King, you also have a royal standing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Jesus is the King, and if you are in Jesus, 
then you are royalty. What is your calling? As a king, as a priest, as a holy nation? Well, you are to proclaim, you are to serve him by proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You say, well, I don't feel like royalty. I certainly don't have the 401k of a king. I don't have a chariot of a king. My car is unreliable. I don't know if it's going to start from day to day. I can't be a king. I don't even have a job. Some of you may be saying, and kings have everything they want in life. But I feel pretty unsatisfied with the lot God has given me. If that's you, let me remind you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you are unsatisfied, if you are unhappy with the hand that dealt us, that God has dealt you, if you are dissatisfied with your circumstances, I think it's God's grace that you're unha- unsatisfied and unhappy because He's not allowing you to be satisfied with things that this world has to offer. As a king in Christ, as royalty in Christ, set your heart on Christ the King. And you know what will happen? When you set your heart on Him, the stock market, automobiles, unemployment, issues of satisfaction and happiness, they'll become less important. Set your heart on Christ and you will begin to live like the royalty that you really are in Jesus Christ. Moving on to the second point. Jesus allowed himself to be taken to the cross so that we might take up our cross and follow him. In verses um, 21 and 22, as they led him out to crucify him, they compelled the passerby Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. When you see Simon of Cyrene, your your thought goes to, is this Simon Peter? Well, no, this is not Simon Peter. Well, where is Simon Peter? Another Simon has taken his place. It seems maybe that Simon Peter is back hiding in the shadows. How often have you, when you were called to be front and center, taken a step back in your service to God? feel like I should be here, but instead it's not convenient or it's difficult or it can cause me some pain and suffering or hurt me in my wallet. Instead of stepping forward like Peter, you take a step back. Simon Peter is nowhere to be found. I think it's a, a gentle rebuke here that God chose another Simon, a Simon of Cyrene, to carry his cross. When Peter said so fervently that he was willing to die any death that Jesus was willing to die. So then the question becomes, well, who is this Simon of Cyrene? Well, Cyrene is um, is now in modern-day Libya. 
and there was uh, an outpost of uh, like a Jewish community there in Cyrene at this day in in North Africa and apparently um, Simon of Cyrene had come back for the festival to celebrate the Passover and it's very interesting here in verse 21 it names not only his country but look at verse 21 it says he's the father of Alexander and Rufus why would it mention this odd fact that this Simon of Cyrene first of all is going to mention where he's from from Cyrene well what does that tell us it doesn't tell us a whole lot and then it would mention that he's the father of Rufus and Alexander I think it becomes a little more clear when we remember that Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark to Christians who were suffering in Rome. And in Paul's letter to Rome, in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 3, um, the Apostle Paul writes, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has become a mother to me as well. And it seems as if this Rufus whom Paul is mentioning in Romans six um, sixteen three may have been the same may have been the son mentioned here in uh, Mark chapter fifteen and so Peter knows because this gospel is going to the Christians in Rome that they'll know exactly who this Simon of Cyrene uh, was and they'll know his wife and they'll know his sons Alexander and Rufus. His father was chosen by soldiers. Rufus' father was chosen by soldiers to take up and carry the cross. But in reality, it was God chosen Rufus. I'm sorry, not Rufus. God chosen Simon of Cyrene so that he would also choose um, his entire family to be followers of Christ. Does that make sense? In choosing the soldiers in choosing Simon of Cyrene, he chose also uh, a God in reality was one who was do, doing the choosing. And they all became followers of Jesus. And so lastly, I want to ask this question. What does it mean to take up your cross? Because we have Simon of Cyrene taking up Jesus' cross. We find that his family became followers of Jesus. Well, the um, taking up of the cross was necessary, first of all, because the Lord Jesus um, had gone through such agony the night before that he began bleeding from his temples. He had gone the entire night without sleep. He had been whipped uh, unmercifully. And then he was beaten about the head. And all this made it so weak that he could not carry his cross. And so Simon of Cyrene, who was just coming into the city, minding his own business, was chosen by these soldiers to carry the cross of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called to be a Simon of Cyrene. Every follower of Jesus Christ is commanded to bear the cross of Jesus. And it was not 
It's not weakness on Jesus' part that you are called to carry His cross. He was weak on the day in which He was beaten and, and whipped and He needed someone to carry His cross. But it is not weakness on His part that He requires you to carry His cross. In fact, you are too weak in and of yourselves, Romans chapter 7 tells us, to carry uh, the cross of Jesus. But He will give you sufficient grace. He will give you sufficient strength to carry His cross. So what does it mean to take up your cross and uh, follow Jesus? Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will it give a man, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying if you were unwilling to carry the cross, you cannot be his disciple. You are forfeiting your own soul. So what does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? First of all, we know it is costly. It means that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will suffer for him. It means, we, can, we know from other passages, it may result in broken relationships. You must hate father, mother, sister, brothers. You must be willing to do that. In other words, Jesus is saying no relationship can become ahead of him. It will mean giving up earthly treasures. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So giving up the cross to take both hands and carry the cross means that you won't have your hands available to carry your worldly belongings. It means certainly an aspect of self-denial. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. So there's this aspect of self-denial. But I want to tell you, taking up the cross and following Jesus is worth it. It's not a position that we like to find ourselves in these days. Because taking up the cross, following Jesus, well that's a subservient position. That's a position of submission, a lack of freedom, and we like our freedom. We don't like the authority placed over us. But this position of taking up your cross and following after Jesus is a position of submission to a king who loves you. A position of submission to a king who died for you. The king of the universe, think about this for a moment. The king of the universe came down to earth for the express purpose of dying for sinners. And if you belong to Jesus, he died for you. Think about that. He loved you that much. This position of submission 
is submission to a king who loves you. In conclusion, hear Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we submit ourselves quickly, reverently, and joyfully to you. Rule over us. Govern us. Reign over us. I'm reminded of John 14, verse 15, where you said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Lord Jesus, we do love you. Help us to obey you. We submit ourselves to you. And by faith, we cling to you, knowing that in and of ourselves we cannot take up our cross. In and of ourselves we cannot obey you. The very thing we want to do, we don't do. The very thing we don't want to do, the thing we hate, we end up doing because we're sinners. We thank you that your blood cleanses us from all sin, all unrighteousness and that your Spirit helps us. And so we pray that your Spirit would help us now as we give ourselves to Jesus and also as we give ourselves to one another as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We ask in His name. Amen. If you would turn in your Trinity hymnal, we'll sing, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. We'll sing verses 1 and 2. If I could ask you to remain seated for verses 1 and 2 as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Oh, 
we come to the celebration of the Lord's Supper, let me remind you that these elements here are simply ordinary elements. The uh, bread is simply bread. The juice in the cup is not even wine. It is grapefruit juice, to be truthful. But they represent the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why this is important to remind you is that our Lord Jesus Christ is not here in the elements. Our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over the entire universe and ruling and reigning over you. But during the Lord's Supper, He does come and He is present by His Spirit instead of residing in these elements. He resides in our hearts by faith. And His Spirit unites our hearts together. And we are the body of Christ. And so our fellowship this morning is with the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. He speaks to us by His Word. We confess our sins to Him. And we cling to Him by faith. But our fellowship also is with one another as God's Spirit dwells in our hearts and unites us together. So even though this is a symbolic meal, there is an unexplainable significance to it because the Lord Jesus Christ is here and communing with us. We ask that... um, or rather we invite all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of denomination that as long as you are a member in good standing of a church that believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life we invite you to come and celebrate this Lord's Supper with us this is not a Presbyterian table this is the Lord's table we ask however that if you are not a member uh, in good standing of a church uh, that that you would with, withhold um, or would refrain from taking the Lord's Supper. Uh, we do this simply because the scriptures tell us that uh, there are those who eat and drink judgment on themselves if they eat and drink in an unworthy manner. We're not exactly sure what that means. But um, from the best that we can understand, we, we think it means that, that you must be, part of that means that you must be under the oversight of a, um, of, of a church. Also, if you are living in unrepentant sin, if you have sins that you love, that you will not give up, that are more important to you than the Lord Jesus Christ, we would ask you to refrain from taking the Lord's Supper as well. We also ask that children who have not made a public profession of faith in Christ, if you would, parents, if you would assist them by not allowing them to uh, take of the Lord's Supper. I hate talking about um, not taking the Lord's Supper so much when the great privilege here is that we do get to partake of it 
that the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that He gave us a reminder that He died for us, that His body was broken for us, that His blood was spilled for us. And He says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And so, it's an invitation for you to come to fellowship with Christ, to fellowship with us together. Please hear the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, he proclaimed the Lord's death until He comes. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that You would add Your blessing to this meal and that the Lord Jesus Christ would be pleased to come and fellowship with us. Father, we have confessed our sins um, earlier in the service. Truth be told, we've probably heaped up a great big pile since then Uh, but we thank you that the the blood of Jesus Christ covers over all of our sins and makes us righteous in your sight help us to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner help us to commune with you help us to celebrate our Lord Jesus in his death in His resurrection, in His ascension, and in His reign over us until this day and until He comes back for us again. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.